ओके आई थिंक वी लाइफ नमस्ते एंड वेलकम टू अनदर एडिशन ऑफ द भारत वार्ता वीकली थैंक यू सो मच फॉर जॉइनिंग अस ऑन दिस लवली संडे मॉर्निंग आई हैव विद मी अभिषेक पॉल एंड श्रीवत्सा सुबना टू रन यू थ्रू ऑल ऑफ द न्यूज़ एंड इवेंट्स ऑफ दिस वीक क्वाइट अ लॉट ऑफ स्पोर्टिंग एक्शन दिस वीक व्हाट्सअप या आई मीन द कोपा अमेरिका फाइनल वाज इन द मॉर्निंग मेसी फाइनली गेट्स द प्रोबेबल मंकी ऑफ हिज बैक बाय विनिंग an international tournament with argentina who played phenomenally well i thought uh, i caught some of the highlights and i mean uh, now i think everyone who thinks that he can't you know perform when it matters for the country will shut up hopefully there's a world cup next year so looking forward to that as well it will probably be a swan song of sorts from international mm. uh, football and i think uh, I hope, as an as someone who likes Argentinian football a lot, that they actually go ahead and win. It's been a while since they won the World Cup. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and there's the Wimbledon uh, today as well, right, Abhishek? Yeah. So big sporting day today, right? So Copa mm. finals in the morning, the Wimbledon in the evening, and the Euro finals at midnight. So yeah, <laughs> I'm very happy for uh, to see Messi. in the tournament i mean the the feeling that you got and i caught up the last few minutes was like how you know the indian uh, players uh, really felt for sachin uh, in the 2011 world yeah. cup it was a very similar feeling because you could see that it almost meant more to them that messi won than they them won themselves so great stuff right right yeah fantastic plenty to look forward to today uh, all right on that note let's get started we put out a couple of really interesting episodes i thought last week right so one was uh, on social media and regulation which i think is a very pertinent topic because uh, you know off late we just don't we, we don't just see you know debate on social media we we see debate about social media right so uh, abhishek what do you think about uh, this episode with uh, gabar singh yeah so carry it was a pretty interesting episode and i think uh, both of you made really good points on all the various parameters of this debate you know publisher you know versus uh, so so those kind of issues that there are coming up with and, and then also the question is in terms of till what extent regulation is right and how much will you know the government follow through in terms of the various points that they have been making so Yeah, good, interesting stuff. But I guess the conclusion was that we don't really know. It's it's we have to wait and watch to see how the things evolve, right? Yeah, it's very new and it's very nascent, right? So things are still evolving, I, I suppose. But interesting times ahead for sure. And, and then, I mean, I really, really like this, you know, future of America kind of uh, episode we did with Valina and Ruchir. uh you know both of them are coming from uh, slightly different perspectives right so velina is obviously a geopolitical expert and then ruchir is coming from a more of a policy and a social perspective i thought it was super comprehensive to begin with i always find this geopolitical stuff you know all the various machinations uh, you know running the world really really interesting and if you are like me i mean you will uh, you're in for a treat i mean it's 90 minutes of solid insights and you know good masala as uh, they would say right so Yeah, do check out both these episodes. All right, we also have tons of other stuff coming up. Uh, so, to begin with, the this earlier this week, the center announced the formation of a cooperation ministry under uh, Shri Amit Shah. The newly formed uh, Ministry of 
of cooperation will be headed by Shri Amit Shah and will aim to strengthen the cooperative movement in the country. The importance of doing so was stressed by the Finance Minister Nirmala Sitaramanji. Vatsa, what do you think of this? There's been a lot of, uh, you know, mixed reactions. Uh, I think both sides have uh, sort of got it wrong, right? I mean, uh, so the supporters of the government um, uh, feel that, you know, this will mean that, you know, the, the some of the state, uh, uh, some of the states will be kept in order. Uh, whereas, you know, the, the, the people against the government feel that, uh, you know, this will be, again, for the same reasons, right? That this is uh, uh, an overreach by the center and, you know, uh, federalism will not work, right? So... What is the purpose of this uh, Ministry of Cooperation and how do you think this will pan out? So, uh, you know, to begin with, I think one of the things is that uh, this is kind of similar to the agricultural reforms uh, that we had last year. So I expect, you know, good level of controversy, but this time again, it will be restricted to different states. So the thing with the cooperative movement is that it, it, you know, kind of predates independence. And one of the things is that uh, there were a lot of local cartels who kind of controlled prices and, you know, the producers, the kind of people who dairy producers, farmers, all of these guys, they never got a good uh, and fair price. So that's the history and genesis behind the uh, cooperative movement. Now, the thing is that there is there are state laws that govern cooperatives. And there was an attempt made uh, during the Vajpayee government in 2002 to uh, regulate cooperatives that operate across states. Now, while all of that has happened, the money for cooperatives comes mainly from the center and state governments stand as guarantee uh, for the equity capital that's raised. The thing is that the cooperative movement has been successful in very few states. So states like Karnataka, Maharashtra, Gujarat, partly Kerala and West Bengal, but that's about it, right? And one of the reasons is uh, different regulations across states. And also uh, regulation of cooperatives is different from how uh, other entities are regulated. Uh, In some cases, it's more lax, like it was with the uh, banks. The cooperative banks had uh, pretty lax regulation. I mean, PMC, which went down, had 70% 70% of its loans given to one uh, company, HDIL, yeah. which would not have happened in the normal scenario. I mean, a normal bank regulated under RBI would never have been allowed to do something like that. Now, what the uh, essence of this law is to strengthen regulation, make it more uniform across the states, right? Make it easier also for cooperatives to be across the, uh, to operate across states. Now, according to me, this does a few things, right? One is it ensures consistency of regulation. Just as we had, you know, with the farm laws, there were disparate laws across states. Some states didn't have an APMC. Some states only had APMC and so on. The other thing it does is it guarantees that regulatory outcomes are more predictable, you know, in case there are issues, there is arbitration needed and so on. Uh, I also think that this will open up new avenues of funding for rural innovation. So there is, you know, there are a lot of, for instance, agri-tech startups that operate today. There's no reason why more innovation in agriculture can't come from rural India. Mm. The biggest sort of reason why it's not happening, I think, is lack of funding and lack of capital. And I think some of the, you know, private capital that comes into startups 
is possibly afraid of getting into uh, you know rural startups and so on or even people who want to set up cooperatives is because there's no clear like regulatory sort of body at an umbrella level uh, today and i think so rural in- innovation should benefit but i also think that there should be uh, you know something in the regulations that come up to protect uh, individuals who come together to form these cooperatives uh, there is obviously the political angle to it amit shah himself cut his political teeth in the cooperative movement in gujarat uh, cooperatives act as you know sources of funds for political parties members and so on they are also you know the chairmanships are kind of given as political favors to uh, people who cannot be accommodated in the cabinet and so on uh, but having said all of that uh, i think the cooperative movement uh, in a country like india where still half the people you know possibly live in rural india need some sort of standardized regulatory support and i think that's what the plan with this uh, entire setup is we just have to wait for the regulatory structure etc to come in but overall i think it's a good move and you know just as with the agriculture laws if the states don't like it they don't actually have to implement it i think the only thing that will happen is the central money will come in with some conditions which is fair enough right at the end of the day the center is giving money to the states it will do so on its terms and conditions right yeah we discussed this uh, in fair amount of detail in the episode uh, on the cabinet reshuffle right uh, which we'll talk about at the end uh, in more changes uh, the department of public enterprise has now moved to the finance ministry uh, from the ministry of heavy industries this move should help expedite the sale of public service undertakings and facilitate further privatization of big government properties further it is supposed to bring in operational efficiencies in public service enterprises through strategic investment ensuring a greater contribution to the economy abhishek uh, what do you make of all of this and how do you think this could uh, impact uh, one of the favorite uh, twitter topics disinvestment yes carry so as you said uh, the whole idea seems to be that by moving the department of public enterprises dp under the finmin uh, this will help in expediting and facilitating privatization right uh, and so i think it's important to kind of step back and just look at the history of this particular department so in the 1960s a bureau of public enterprises was set up under the ministry of finance right Sub, uh, and it started as a bureau then in 1985 this bureau was moved over to the ministry of industry later in around 1990 they upgraded the bureau to a full fledged department now the idea was that uh, under moving it under the ministry of industry uh, will help in making these psus as the engines of industrialization because at that time still a state led uh, investment and state led industries were supposed to be the driver for industrial growth in india so that was the kind of socialist led thinking that we had and now we are moving it sort of full circle back to the ministry of finance now what will happen is we also have uh, the uh, dpam right which is the department of investment and asset management Uh, uh under the ministry of finance and what will happen is both the departments can now work together 
on this disinvestment slash privatization roadmap. So we have number of uh, companies that are being talked about, right? Including BPCL, you have shipping corporation, you know, uh, you have uh, Air India. So all these companies could possibly have a disinvestment or privatization. And uh, just a sort of small trivia, the uh, Department of uh, Investment and Asset Management is actually nothing but the erstwhile disinvestment uh, department, but they have now done the branding to call it investment. That is, it allows public to invest in it rather than saying, you know, the government is disinvesting. Nice. All right. Uh, moving forward. Kerala is one of the few states with a high number of COVID-19 cases uh, in India still. And uh, the past few weeks have, uh, you know, been uh, so certainly uh, pretty tragic, actually. The state has been reporting a daily COVID-19 case uh, ranging between 10,000 to 15,000 without any dip. Uh, although Kerala's uh, daily COVID-19 cases remain high, it has been plateauing since uh, mid-June, while other states are witnessing a decline. Health experts say that uh, Kerala was uh, largely able to contain the sudden spike by slowing down the pandemic's curve. As of July 7th, Kerala has administered 1.51 crore doses of COVID-19 vaccines, covering about 43% of the population above 18 years with a single dose and only 14% with two doses. What's up? What are your thoughts? You know that Kerala missed, right? Uh, okay, there's one interesting bit of trivia about Kerala. Kerala has not had less than 1,000 COVID cases since 3rd of August 2020. Uh, wow. And that to 2nd of August was a Sunday. So lower tests, hence lower kind of uh, number of cases. So actually, it probably goes back to some time in July last year that they had less than 1,000 cases a day. Mm. Uh, now, Kerala in itself, uh, when, it, when they started they seem to be to have gotten in front of the problem uh, with contact tracing. Uh, they continue to have very low death rates, uh, you know, testing and so on. But uh, the one thing is that they have a very high positivity rate. So it's not just the number of cases. At 10.5%, they are third or fourth in terms of positivity rate. Uh, and the only other states which have you know, a higher positivity rate uh, are states in the Northeast, which have very low population. So if you add the three states that have a higher pos positivity rate, their population will be probably 65, 70 lakhs, not more than that. And Kerala is at two and a half crores. Uh, I think somewhere they have, I think, dropped the ball when it comes to contact tracing, which is why you continue to see higher cases. Uh, Kerala, again, the uh, North Kerala depends a lot on Karnataka, right, for mm. medical facilities. Uh, and so, I mean, while the overall infrastructure may be good, but I don't think it's sufficient to deal with the volume uh, even now. Uh, there was a controversy last year when Karnataka sort of blocked the uh, border and, you know, it created a huge problem for people in Kerala. Uh, on the positive side, I think the vaccination numbers are pretty good. They've vaccinated about, uh, you know, I think one and a half crores have, have received at least uh, one dose. Uh, the data, again, needs to be analyzed because the death rates have gone up significantly in the second wave in Kerala. 
for a long time kerala did not have even a 100 covid deaths in a day but of late that number seems to be increasing steadily so that data needs to be looked at to understand why this is happening uh i think for kerala to get over this they definitely need to ramp up testing mm-hmm. i mean states like up went up to 3 and a half lakh tests a day and now are seeing you know number of cases in uh, three figures consistently that to low three figures uh, and that has happened only through door to door testing so they definitely need to test a lot more there is one hypothesis that uh, people in kerala are more likely to get tested when they get symptoms because of which you see higher numbers uh, again there's no way to either confirm or deny it uh, but i i would take that with a pinch of salt uh having said all of this because the death rate is low uh things still seem to be under control but uh i think they definitely need to make sure that uh there is more covid appropriate behavior because that a lot of cases seem to be stemming from that uh you know they don't have very crowded cities the population density is very low you don't have uh, you know crowded suburban trains say like in mumbai or buses you know whereby people travel because of which people are in close proximity and you might see cases so uh, they definitely need to do two things which is ramp up testing and uh, enforce covid appropriate behavior uh, obviously at worst case scenario they'll go for lockdowns uh, although there's no evidence that lockdown works right lockdown only kind of delays the mm. slow of uh, covid yeah for sure well hope the cases come down uh, on that note the moderna covid 19 vaccine has been authorized for emergency use by the drug controller general of india uh, under an emergency use authorization or eua as it's uh, known uh, moderna's covid 19 vaccine became the first messenger rna jab and the fourth overall to be authorized for emergency use during the pandemic it is the first foreign vaccine to get approval under the government's uh, revised norms for accelerated regulatory clearance of covid-19 vaccines uh, moderna's local partner cipla has been granted an import license as well abhishek uh, seems like people have one more choice right now um, but moderna is slightly different right it's that whole mrna technology which uh, people are again ha- people have very mixed views about that uh, what do you make of it yeah so uh i think uh, if you go by social media i think there's a section of population who has been asking for pfizer and moderna to come to india uh, yesterday right so uh, i mean there are few things to look at so the uh, on the positive side i think pfizer and moderna are two of the most effective vaccines based on all the trial data that is available right and a uh, lot of countries including the us have Uh, done a great job in vaccinating their populations with these two vaccines now uh, the question of uh, why it has not yet come to india has a few layers to it one was that of course uh, you know they were primarily manufacturing for their domestic order right because the us had funded their research secondly uh, you know the temperature requirements for storage etc made it more difficult but the main sticking point right now is the point of indemnity so both pfizer and moderna have been asking the indian government to 
give them in indemnity from adverse effects right post vaccine of patients now what the indian government has done is they have submitted a proposal to the to moderna granting them legal indemnity but with certain conditions and right now the moderna management in massachusetts is kind of uh, you know going through that and one they have not yet taken a call on whether india's conditions are okay or not so as you said where moderna has gone ahead of pfizer with respect to india is they have tied up with cipla local partner and the vaccines are supposed to come through two routes right so first is a commercial import via cipla about 7 million vaccines are supposed to come as part of that and also india is supposed to receive 10 to 15 million doses through the global alliance of vaccines called covax right Mm. and moderna and pfizer are supposed to be part of that so the the thing to watch out for is whether the condition the agreement does happen between india and moderna and if that goes through then we can see this vaccine coming in uh, an interesting thing to note is that there is a lot of talks and, in, and also trials happening about vaccine mixing right so you take a first dose of vaccine a and second dose of vaccine b and the trials so far seem to indicate that that's a good idea right so there is a trial done for astrazeneca plus pfizer and that has seemed to give good results so if that is also authorized by india then lot of folks who have taken the first shot of covid shield for example in india could possibly take moderna or even pfizer if it comes to india yeah um So this year the southwest monsoon has missed its normal date for covering the entire country uh, a delay has been reported uh, for the monsoon onset over delhi punjab chandigarh haryana and western rajasthan uh, what's a given you know how important uh, the monsoon is for indian economy as such right uh, what do you think is the impact that we can expect from a delayed monsoon right so uh, the thing is this is not the most uh, delayed monsoon we had delays earlier as well in 2019 2014 uh the thing with uh you know the way the imd uh announces the onset on of uh, and withdrawal of monsoon that itself has changed in the last one year uh now that is uh, i think the change in calculation so if you compare with the earlier uh years it's not a like for like comparison but having said that the way you mentioned uh monsoon is very significant when it comes to agriculture in india right uh, especially there are crops like paddy which are which require a lot of water and they depend on rain uh you know a lot as compared to irrigation now there's another thing that's happening which is kind of a double whammy for farmers which is that diesel prices have also gone up quite a bit in the last uh, few months so on the one side monsoon is delayed on the other side if they have to use pumps to kind of extract water from bore wells or wherever and then uh, you know give water to the crops there is an addition of cost even to that right so that's that's a double whammy for the farmers and uh, roughly half of india relies on agriculture you know for their livelihood uh so again uh you know any delay in monsoon affects uh, affects them as well 
plus there is the covid impact right so covid has definitely hit the last quarter and people have kind of migrated back to rural and semi urban kind of areas where some of these uh, some of farming occurs last year we had very good monsoon because of which uh, you know there were plenty of jobs available for people who returned to rural areas after covid this year if the monsoon is delayed this could affect them as well so there is a potentially a big economic impact as well uh, and most of the states where the monsoon has been delayed it's states like punjab mp haryana uh, you mentioned delhi almost all of these states rely significantly on agriculture especially punjab and haryana and they grow a lot of paddy too which is again as i mentioned earlier very yeah. water intensive water intensive right so if you put all of this together it might look like a delay of a few days but the potential impact is significant so uh, we just need to wait and watch and hope that the crops are not damaged uh, you know because of this delay and once the rain comes in obviously it will help uh, because once the crop goes bad it doesn't really matter right whether you have plenty full of rain mm. uh, it's it's a sowing cycle which starts and water has to be available at certain points there is other things like you know moisture in the soil which which increases because of the rain and so on all of these affect uh, you know growing of crops so net net i think uh, we just need to wait and see what the impact is because it's it's more than just uh, impacting a few crops there there's a lot stake lot at stake economically as well yeah no and as you mentioned it's also uh, a mix of everything right the diesel prices going high and then general uh, slowdown due to covid and stuff uh, hangs in a everything hangs in a pretty delicate balance so all right uh, to round things off on a more optimistic note manipur uh, was finally connected to the indian railway network after a passenger train entered the state for a trial run uh, so this was a pleasant surprise to me i had no idea this was uh, you know that manipur was cut off right uh, seems like such a significant achievement right here we are talking about you know some margin edge cases with the uh, uh infrastructure here and there but this is such a significant thing that you know manipur is finally connected to the indian railway network right abhishek yeah and uh, you would be surprised to know that even uh, nagaland mizoram and meghalaya are pretty much not yet connected but work is ongoing similar to what's happening in manipur so just to give you an idea so the main project is called a jiribam imphal project right with rail project and jiribam is on the edge of manipur on the manipur assam boundary and there is this project has been going on for decades now in 2008 it was declared as a national importance project but still it's about to finish only now but why is it so difficult a the terrain is really tough right you have to actually build about 150 uh, bridges and 50 plus tunnels you know to get this project through Uh, there are militant organizations all around in fact territorial army battalion helps uh, out in the construction process by giving safeties and then you have inclement weather and all that so it's a really challenging project for indian railways right now what has happened is a trial run happened from silchar in assam to a spot in between called wangi chunpao and but the uh, you know it's expected to be fully complete by 2022 when the state capital in infal will also get connected so and 
if you read more about it, lot of records in in terms of some of the highest bridges in the world for a railway being part of this project. So very interesting, and I would say uh, you know praiseworthy stuff happening here. Yeah, fantastic. And apparently, uh, uh, Mizoram and Nagaland also will be connected uh, by March of twenty twenty three, right? So yeah. very very significant well, development Abhishek, happening. Are you Abhishek? Are you ashamed as a society that it has taken so long for this to happen? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should all travel to the northeast. Fantastic yeah. uh, place for sure, right? Uh, all right. So that uh, brings us to the end of the news uh, for this, uh, you know, week. Uh, we have a couple of super interesting episodes coming up, right? And uh, we have a very comprehensive analysis, uh, almost a one-hour analysis of the cabinet reshuffle with our resident. political expert rohit jairaman right you guys have heard him on multiple bharatvarta podcast slicing and dicing numbers constituencies giving like you know super uh, interesting macro political perspectives and uh, rohit was at his best talking about the cabinet reshuffle right uh, was this an underperformance was this a talent management thing uh, you know why did certain people get the portfolios and what is expected of them so on and so forth right so a uh, very very rich and insightful conversation definitely definitely check it out um, and then also i mean uh, and uh, you know i should mention that the cabinet reshuffle uh, episode is a premium only episode so if you haven't joined us on youtube or patreon please do uh, support us uh, right so this will be accessible to premium only subscribers uh, and you know we also had a very interesting conversation with uh, shri nk choudhury and uh, you know mr choudhury is such an inspiration right he works with 40000 artisans uh, and his uh, you know his products are sold in 40 different countries and uh, he's been in the business for about 4 plus decades and some of the concepts that he spoke about whether it's decentralization whether it's always learning uh, right um, i mean it's it's stuff that you hear young startup ceos uh, talk about right and uh, mr choudhury has retained that spirit in him after all of these years Uh, it was a fascinating conversation really inspiring uh, so yeah definitely do check it out so couple of very interesting episodes coming up uh, also as i mentioned we are now on patreon if you feel that you can support us you know do do uh, you know do check it out and you know there are two uh, plus and prime basically uh, we're going to be merging this into one shortly right uh, but do feel free to support us it really helps us do the work that we do uh and as i have mentioned for about the last 5 or 6 weeks uh bharatvarta weekly will soon be premium only right uh, from the 51st episode onwards uh we will be premium only so that is in about 2 weeks so this is the 49th one the i think the the next uh, weekly will be the last public weekly that we'll be doing after that it's going to be premium only so do feel free to you know join our community right and uh, yeah that's about that's about it Thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, we're bring, bringing you know fresh new content every week. I mean, doing our best to keep you guys informed and entertained. Um, yeah, so I'll see you guys next week on a new episode of the Bharatvarta Weekly. So from Abhishek Vatsa and myself, thank you so much for joining again and take care. Stay safe. Take care. Jai Hind.